This has been a, a, a difficult sermon to prepare in a couple of ways. Um, and a lot of times, if you're in church and somebody reads Revelation, you start hearing about the church of Laodicea, it's like, uh-oh, we need to fire up. Somebody's going to get, you know, somebody's not warm enough or cold enough or whatever, you know. So, And, and I really want that kind of as a backdrop. Um and there's another scripture we're going to read in a few minutes. is, is kind of a backdrop, um, because it's kind of the, the. What I want to do is kind of talk more about the. You know, we always talk about preaching is more about, a lot of times, you end up preaching to yourself more than anybody else. So, kind of think of this as me preaching to myself, and you guys get to listen in a little bit, and I hope it encourages you, um, because it's it's more about, like we've been talking about Job a lot recently. And in some sense, I kind of internally, I shake my head because I'm no Job. Um, I, I think about the little the, the scenario at the beginning of Job where it talks about Satan comes in and God says, have you seen my servant Job? I don't see him going, have you seen my servant Charles? And it's It's troublesome. But it points to a struggle that we have. It's it's not something I'm proud of. I hate to think it's the other way where Satan comes in and goes, So about your servant. Oh, oh there's more going on. Oh, there's another oh, another page just added on. I, I think it was the dough factor. You guys know Homer Simpson? Dope. Dope. Going through the day. I'm glad when I can make it for a little while without dope. There's another one. Got off track. And First um, John one nine talks about you know confession, and confession is one of those interesting things. A lot of us think, oh, we confess our sins, and oh, we need to ask God for forgiveness. And the forgiveness is there. We're supposed to confess our sins, and He forgives. And a lot of times we don't come forward with the sins. It's it's we're not politically correct if we actually announce what our sins are. Whether it's, you know, getting upset because somebody hit my car. <sighs> what is this? I'm thinking, okay, I know God's got this worked out. The guy was drunk, so before he gets home or before he hits somebody else, maybe the cops will be able to stop him now. No, they didn't catch him. I don't know if he hit somebody else or not. Or, okay, what's the point? We, we, we deal with that sometimes. How do we question that? And I'm don't careful, you know. Internally, I'm doing the don't factor again. And I'm how do I wrestle with those, you know, from the the, the double take? I was at the Renaissance Festival yesterday, and one poor young lady, I think she forgot half of her costume. Okay, that's enough, you know. And, and the dough factor there of looking. How long do we look? How do we deal with the sin from the anger? CJ and Regina, or CJ and Reagan know. Regina does too. Um, but you have to ask for forgiveness from them sometimes. From anger to different things. And how do we struggle with that? Um, and that's really where I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit was, you know, how do we deal with that? on a struggling basis, on a day-to-day level of struggling with sin, not working through legalism, but yet 
how do we get there? How do we work through our daily lives, as I said, working out our salvation in fear and trembling? Um, Church in Laodicea is charged with neither being refreshingly cold or that refreshing heat. You know, nobody says, hey, do you want some lukewarm chocolate? You want a hot chocolate, right? Especially in these cool days. You don't want, hey, you want some room temperature water? Yeah, that's refreshing. How do we get to either being one of those refreshments that when we give out the gospel, whether it's in tough love or if we're giving it out in maybe it's that that moment of peace and through tears as somebody has reached the bottom. How do we make sure that our testimony is there throughout that process to do it? Um, Paul talks about it this way. In Romans, in chapter 7, if you want to turn there, it's several verses. Romans chapter 7, 14 through 24 says this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For good, for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Bearing that in mind, and, and, and what I want to kind of do is have, I almost wish I could have kind of the Revelation verse up here, Romans up here, and what I think to me was an insight into how we can apply some of that, some of the tension that's there, that principle of evil that applies in us with another passage. And before we go there, I want to just stop and pray for a minute and and ask the Lord to just really open our eyes and ears now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that you've given to us. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and grace which you've poured out on us and keep pouring on us and keep pouring on us. Heavenly Father, that you take interest in, as Paul says, this wretched man. Ask now that you will open our eyes that we may truly see and that we may glorify you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen.
In Mark chapter 8, Jesus is just finished with miraculous feeding of thousands. He's talked to his disciples, tried to teach them something, and he starts talking about the spiritual, and they go straight to the physical. Totally miss it, right over their heads. And he's looking at them like, you're not getting this. And he comes to, it's in 22, he says, they come to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, he said, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Now, when we're reading through, and you're reading through different verses, does that verse ever strike you as odd? Wait a second, Jesus healed him twice? I mean, Jesus looked at the disciples and said, look, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. Go, and it's gone. He's casting out demons like that that he even tells the disciples, this isn't going to come out without prayer and fasting. It's going to take you a whole lot more. I know you can do the healing, but this is even harder. And we've seen him do healing of the blind many times, and yet this time he asked him, and he says, do you see? Well, not quite. It's a little bit hazy. Men are like trees. There's kind of a, a, a big fuzziness there. I'm not, hold on, let me touch it again. And I'm not discounting the miracle. It was a miracle that the man's eyes were stored. But I believe Jesus was teaching a parable there to his disciples. He was teaching them in this healing about what it means to really see. whether it's in Romans and how we look at ourselves and do we really see how wretched we are, or as in the spirit of Laodicea as a church in a nation where we can clothe ourselves and get new stuff and off we go and things are wonderful because we can buy our way through a lot of it. Do we not see that we are wretched and naked and poor and really not fall fully and completely on Jesus as we say resting in God? And how many of us are actually seeing men walking about as trees? We're seeing without really seeing. Vast improvement from being blind. Guess what? It went from total darkness. Well, I can kind of see. Regina got real nervous before I had the LASIK and I had glasses. The first time I got glasses, I put them on. I said, wow, trees have leaves. I couldn't see the leaves before. She's like, you drove us here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know. I mean, you can see. I can see the leaves on the tree out there on the other side of the parking lot. I couldn't see them before. But I got used to it. 
So I didn't really recognize, I didn't realize you weren't supposed to see the leaves there, or that you were. And, and, and how much do we, well, of course we can't see that. How used to drinking the milk are we that we don't go for the meat of the word? How do we sit back sometimes and just, well, we'll get there. Or do we not see ourselves properly as they didn't in Laodicea, which could very well apply to us today, that we don't see ourselves properly? See, disciples earlier in Mark, I mentioned Jesus had just gotten done feeding 5,000, 7,000 with a couple loaves of bread. Disciples didn't grab any bread. So they're in the boat, and they got one loaf of bread. Now, if you do the math, that's about 1,500 people Jesus can feed. You know, real simple. But to the disciples and Jesus, and he looks at them and says, look, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he starts to teach them about sin and spiritual applications. And they're like, oh, he's talking because we don't have enough bread. I'm thinking, you got one loaf. That's 1,500 people. Easy. Doing the math with Jesus. I mean, he can. And he's looking at them going, you're not seeing. I'm trying to teach you, but your eyes are like this man. You, you, you started to see something, but you're not seeing clearly. There's a lack of spiritual understanding. And recently had a, a, a funeral. And it was, it, was, it was an honor to do this funeral. It was a, a great uncle of mine. Um, I mean, great uncle as in he's older. And... He passed away at 82, a full life, and before I got up to preach, three of his family members had came up. They basically gave my sermon already, and each one of them encouraging, as Arnold would have, to make sure you're in church, make sure you're serving God, make sure your witness is out there throughout the community, and it was a fantastic witness of this man's life. And it's one of those things where, you know, Arnold was a very humble man. And very, I mean, there was passions in his life, but you knew what was first and foremost. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when he got there, Jesus was able to look at him and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And it's an honor to do that funeral, but you also start thinking, okay, What's going to be said at my funeral? You know, how often do we think of that? What's going to be said at my funeral? And in reviewing accounting of life, you kind of think back and it's like, okay, am I seeing the leaves on the trees? Am I, do I have that spiritual understanding? What level of spiritual understanding do I have? Do, is it one where I think I've got it? Am I like Laodicea? Do I... I've got this under control. We've got these things moving forward. And guess what? You're neither refreshing. You're not hot. You're not cold. How do we know? Because when I come back to Romans, don't. Again, did it again. And keep sinning. How do you, the struggle of sin without going, okay, I've got to get this into almost a work. Am I now working 
so much that I'm not trusting in Jesus and his grace? Am I going to work myself there? Or am I in the struggle of grace and work? And how do you balance it? Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? The answer to that is very clear. It's Jesus. It's not something that we can do. As he says, the willing is in us. I, I want to. And I don't. I take the second look. I get angry. I start to quit. But one of the things we have to look at is sin. Is sin twists us. And we, we've, I remember we were discussing in classes many years ago about a, a long discussion about how does sin twist us. If we are rational, if we can think and we logical, logic isn't twisted by sin, so we should at least have some basis to come forward with. And I found things that, you know, how we even confuse I won't go into it, but deductive and inductive reasoning and how we come to things. If we get outside of math, our thinking gets screwy pretty quick. Very quickly. How many times do you find people disagreeing over things that would seem very obvious? Part of that, I would suggest to you, isn't what we would consider opinion. It's that our rationale, part of it is the warping of sin, the twisting of it. And it puts in us this disruption. And, and it's interesting that the, the, the Buddhists talk about karma and such. And, oh, you've got to work for your karma and do these things. And there's a working there. Well, we don't do that. We struggle and we strive. But it's not about the works. Our struggling is for his glory. And there's, there's a humility aspect that is missing in Laodicea that comes in Romans that comes in that confession because when you have to sit down and say I'll put it this way there's a difference between coming forward saying okay God I've sinned please forgive me it's another thing to come forward and say okay God here's what I've done and listing them out one that takes time it takes spiritual honesty to actually come forward and say, here's what I've actually done. I'm dwelling on these things. I'm holding this grudge. I'm not letting this go. I'm not forgiving here. And I'm still struggling with not forgiving this because it's been two years, Lord. But I'm confessing it. Help me through it. When we do it for his glory, now there's a difference in it. And a lot of times we are so quick to look at ourselves and start backing up and focusing on, oh, I'm doing these things. And it really comes back to what Jesus was telling the disciples about beware the leaven of the Pharisees. See, when we are doing it in our power, we become frustrated. And it's failure. When we begin working in grace... There's a joy that's there. One of the things I always thought was interesting was, you know, look at what the Pharisees did and look at any time when there's legalism applied. There's a lack of joy. 
because you're doing it in your own power or relying on it, even if you're trying to do it for God's glory, me first. Well, yeah, I'm going to do this for God. I'm doing this because this is... No, you're doing it for you. But when you humble yourself and say, okay, God, I can't do this. I'm going to take the next step, but I need to rely on you. That makes the difference between whether it becomes a prayer session or a gossip session. Are we focusing on God or are we focusing on, well, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And somebody, he did this. Are we really honestly, and do we have that ability to open up to do those kind of discussions? That's what the church is designed for. That's what we're here for is to help one another in those things, to encourage one another. The Pharisees' result, legalism, is a guilt, it's a loss of joy. But you can avoid those without going the other direction of unbalancing. And, and I think of it as, you know, it's not just one side or the other of, well, sin's there, it's sin's fault, it's not my fault. Yeah, right? We almost want to do that in Romans, don't we? Paul says, it's in my members, it's a sin that's there. It's not my fault. But you notice Paul doesn't go there. Paul says, I'm trapped in this body of sin. This is still me, but the wanting isn't, able enough, isn't enough to achieve the right thing. Bless you. I think it's interesting that alcoholics first step is the first thing they have to do is recognize the situation. And I think that's interesting where for Christians, confession is like that. It's like alcoholics. We have to come stand up and say, I'm an alcoholic. This is what I'm, you know. That's the first thing that they're required to do. Now, if we just excuse the sin, we're like a spoiled child. Right? Oh, they can't help it. Just let them go. Oh, little child, it's okay. Let it go. That's what happens if we start excusing the sin. And what does God say about children and discipline? And He loves His children. He's going to bring the discipline. It's going to come. I say that as a word of caution not to err in that, in that area. But instead to rely on Philippians, which talks about bearing one another's burdens. In, in bearing one another's burdens, it's that tension of doing it humbly, lifting each other up. And what I suggest to you is there's, there's a tension in there. Um, I mentioned about twisting. A lot of times we talk about the twisting of the wood that sin creates, it twists us. We, we're looking at twisted wood. Many times we look at it and go, can't be used. Set it aside. Or else we put the piece of wood up and go to nail it in. You're like, okay, got to bend it. Force it in there and nail it just as you get in there or screw it to make sure it holds in solidly. I got a couple pieces of twisted wood on my deck. I got to take them out because they're no good. And what I suggest to you is that the amazing thing that God does with us when we have that tension of struggle 
between how do I deal with grace that's coming down and I'm living in the sinful body. And the best way I can think of it is this, this, the picture. Let me show you something. Is a bow. Don't worry, I don't have any arrows with me. But, you know, it's not a plank to build on. But it's a piece of curved wood that when you put the tension on it, forgive me for going slowly, I should have Makoto come up and do it for me. Um, but as you put the tension on it, and you realize it's no small amount of tension that goes on to it, you end up with a bow. You end up with something that can actually be used. And it takes some pressure to really pull that back. There's some amount of tension there. This is where we come to following what Paul said. We don't always see ourselves this way. But it's a sense in which we struggle at this point. If we don't struggle, guess what? It comes off. And that string, which is where we're living, can't do anything. But when it's tight, when it's taut, when it's struggling with, I've got to fight against this sin, not for my purposes, but for his, it can be used. See, a lot of us come to Jesus for that initial healing. And we start stressing, struggling, and dealing with the sin. And we never get past, well, I see men like trees. They're swaying to get that actual spiritual understanding. How do I do this? How do I live on a daily basis sinning? Now, Paul reminds us in other scriptures not to continue, to continue sinning or sin more. Heaven forbid, as he says, may get into it. Not at all. But we still struggle. The disciples saw this parable, and it took them a while to understand it. Some of them it took, as Thomas said, when I see the nail prints, then I'll believe. Some of them on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus walked them all the way through the Old Testament. Start with Genesis. Let me go all the way through and show you to open their eyes. And I can't help but think that if the disciples who spent time with Jesus still needed that second salve on the eyes... How much more in Laodicea do we need to pray to God and say, God, I need the salve on my eyes so I can really see what's around me, so I really have spiritual understanding. See, Mark 18, or Mark 8, 17 and 18 talks about that, that there are still those who are without understanding. 
Those who are still without understanding are referenced in Revelation. The spirit of the churches. And what I suggest is making sure that we're not part of that group that is without spiritual understanding. We need to do some of the basics of confession. Recognizing there's going to be tension. It's not easy. I always kind of shudder when I hear somebody say, you need to be a Christian. This is great. Guess what? You just reared up on a battlefield. And I don't mean that in the sense of, oh, don't do it. Because the alternative is to lay down and burn in hell. But it's not going to be easy. There's tension there. But if you don't have the tension, guess what? You're nothing but a piece of twisted, warped wood laying there. You can't be any good to the master. So, whether you need Jesus for the first healing, so that your eyes are at least open, or for that ongoing salve that we need laid on our eyes sometimes, to truly, really see how we are, not how others are, but how we are, I encourage you to call on him. I say that because as I started saying, this isn't something where I'm saying, here's what you need to do. I'm sharing this because this is what I've been going through and looking for the last month or so of how do I get past this dough factor? How do I, there's got to be, you know, I want the American, there we fixed it. It's not there. Instead, there's a tension there. And there has to be a tension there. And there will be until we get to heaven. And I encourage each of you to continue with the struggle. Because we do win. I've read the end. We do win. And actually, you have to get to the end. You start in the beginning and we, get to the, we win. We are more than conquerors in him. Rejoice in that and be glad in it and celebrate. But don't stop struggling.